under the authority of the God-given authorities that are in our lives physically, how could we ever hope to live under the authority of the King and Kings and Lord of Lords who we believe in by faith? See, if you can't trust God to be submissive to the authorities that God has placed over your life, there's absolutely no way you're going to be submissive to the Lord. Backseat Drivers. They're a great example of how hard it is to let others be in control of your life. Today, Pastor Daniel reminds you that God has appointed the human authority figures in your life. Though they don't always lead you as God would want, he still asks you to willingly yield to them. Pastor Daniel says that if you struggle with the human leaders in your life, it'll be hard for you to submit to the Lord who you follow by faith. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Numbers chapter 16 as he begins his message, Korah's Rebellion. All right, let's open up in your Bibles to the book of Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11. As we continue our study here through what is commonly called the Old Testament, we're here in the book of Numbers, so if you're new to the Bible, don't worry. I want you to grab the book and the Bibles and the pews in front of you. If you open up the beginning of the book of Genesis, the book of Exodus, the book of Leviticus, and then the book of Numbers. So it's the, it's the fourth book in your Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. As we continue this series in the book of Numbers, and so we call this series Wilderness for a reason, because the children of Israel are not only literally in the wilderness, because they have left Egypt and they were supposed to go into the promised land, but they didn't want to go. They didn't trust God. And so now they're actually wandering around in the wilderness and their physical situation is actually uh, symbolic of their spiritual condition. And so we're in a, a rough section in the book of Numbers, because it's almost like chapter after chapter, we see the children of Israel struggling. And one of the things that I always find the most fascinating as a student of the Bible, as a follower of Jesus, is that I find myself in each one of these stories, even though these are things that happened many, many years ago, the principles of what we learn about are very applicable for our lives. And both this week and next week. We'll take, Lord willing, all of chapter 16 this week. And next week, it's really, both of these chapters are about the exact same thing. And it's the challenge to the authority of Moses and Aaron. So what you have is you have the people are not liking that Moses and Aaron are their God-given authority, and they are pushing against that. And in each case, whether it was what we saw in Numbers chapter 12 with Miriam doing that with Moses, or now in chapter 16, we're going to see Korah. Next chapter, we're going to see another group of people. It becomes a challenging thing for us to study because all of us live 100, 150 years after Nietzsche, where 
um, Western culture has been shrouded with all power is bad, that anytime somebody has power, that power is always an abomination. And so, and then of course, uh, those of you who are hippies, you questioned authority. And that's when it become like mainstream and everybody did that. And so I, I want to dispel a philosophical notion that a lot of us have up front so that we can actually see this. And what I want to say is that power or authority is actually morally neutral. Having power is not good or bad in and of itself. Power becomes either a blessing or a curse. It becomes either something that is oppressive or building up based on the heart of the person who has the authority. That is the defining. So, and, and listen, there's no such thing as a structureless culture. They call that anarchy. As I've said in anarchy, nobody feels comfortable. It's completely unsafe environment. So there is always hierarchies of authority. So I want to just remind all of us that having a position of authority or being under somebody's authority only takes on a moral component given the heart of the person who is in authority. Okay? And so what we're going to see here is that Moses and Aaron were not in authority because they grabbed hold of the authority and are driving it like they stole it. They are literally in authority because God made them in authority and their leadership has only everything to do with God and what God is doing in the midst of his people. They didn't choose it for themselves. They didn't win an election or steal an election. God made them that. And the problem is, is that people are pushing against God's erected authority structure. Now, for you and I, we have to remember that Jesus did say that he is a person under authority as well. And so what this is going to apply to us is for those of us who have positions of authority, and I'm pretty sure that in all of our lives, in some way, there is a position of, there's a, you have an authority position, like you get to choose what you're going to do today. Like you kids who are in here, you're like, well, my parents are the authority. Well, you get to choose if you're going to actually turn in your homework or not. Your parents don't do that for you. So we all have authority over certain things. If we look at our lives, many of us have authority over many things. And the big thing for us is that we learn the most about our lives by how we interact with the God-given authorities over our lives. And when I say that, I realize that everyone starts to feel a little squeamish because what do we all do when there's authority over us? We fight against it, right? Well, if I was an authority, I wouldn't do that, right? Can we all agree to that? Can I get an amen? Amen. Yeah, you sinners. Nah, just, <laughs> just kidding. But listen. This is important. If we don't learn how to live under the authority of the God-given authorities that are in our lives physically, how could we ever hope to live under the authority of the King and Kings and Lord of Lords who we believe in by faith? See, if you can't trust God to be submissive to the authorities that God has placed over your life, there's absolutely no way you're going to be submissive to the Lord because he's the one who placed them in your life. That's a pretty deep well, isn't it? But all of us have people who are in authority over us. We all have people who are, are in a sense, under us. And the key for the person with authority is that they be a servant. 
And isn't that what Jesus taught us? The reason Jesus's absolute authority over our lives and over this world works so well is because Jesus died and rose again for you and I. So Jesus is the ultimate benevolent servant monarch. Jesus has all the power, but he wants to serve. And true biblical authority is a servant leadership. It's servanthood. And so in the places of authority that you have, I'm going to encourage you to be a servant. In the situations where somebody else has the authority, I'm going to encourage you to be a servant and be submissive under their authority. Because you're really not being submissive to them. You're really serving the Lord by trusting him. Now, everyone's bound to say at this point, I don't want to get too down the road, that God's The ideas of submission always have to be within the bounds of the Bible. So God is not asking you to be submissive to something that completely dishonors him. Even if the authority over you tells you that they want you to do it. Remember when Peter and John were arrested and they went before the Sanhedrin council and they said, as the authorities, we say that you are not allowed to preach the name of Jesus anymore. And they said, uh, no. They said, whether we're going to trust you or God, we're trusting God. You're going to have to live with that. And there is a place for subversion under authority when that authority is going against the plans and purposes of God. So I need to make sure I say that because we've all had experiences of somebody who is in authority who is uh, requesting or asking things that are actually dishonoring to the Lord himself and the message of the gospel. And at that point, we're not supposed to uh, walk through that in the name of blind submission. But that's really the issue over the next two chapters. And when I share all this, I realize that for all of us, we find ourselves in positions of authority um, within somebody else's authority uh, structure. And we all struggle with how do we navigate that. And so that's really what we're going to see here. So let's jump on in to Numbers chapter 16. Look at what it says. Verse 1. Now Korah, the son of Ishar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men and they rose up before Moses, verse 2, with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown. They gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, you take too much upon yourselves, for all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Verse four, so when Moses heard it, he fell on his face. And he spoke to Korah and all of his company saying, tomorrow morning, the Lord will show who is his and who is holy and will cause him to come near to him. That one whom he chooses, he will cause to come near to him. Do this, take censers, Korah and all your company, put fire in them and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow, and it shall be that the man whom the Lord chooses is the Holy One. You take too much upon yourselves, you sons of Levi. So this is kind of the beginning of the result. Now, it's interesting. Uh, it's led by a man named Korah, which uh, literally means baldness. So I just bring that out just so that you know that that's what Korah means. Not any statement about uh, 
somebody's uh, ability to grow hair or whatever. But I just thought it was interesting just for whatever it's worth. So Korah, notice he's a son of Kohath, who was a son of Levi. Now, this means that they are tribesmen with Moses and Aaron. That's what it means. They're of the same priestly tribe. So Korah, no doubt, had a special position within the children of Israel. Not only that, you have Dathan and Abiram, and then you have this guy On and the sons of Reuben. So these were all of the, the upper echelons classes, where Reuben was the eldest of the son of Jacob, and of course, uh, Levi being the, you know, uh, the priestly tribe. So these were people of resound, and not only these ringleaders, but now we have 250 congregational leaders, men of renown, right? And they come to Moses and to Aaron with a, an issue there. They're saying, this is a problem. See, look what they say. You take too much upon yourselves for all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourself above the assembly of the Lord? See, now, at this juncture, Moses and Aaron, everything since they were in Egypt points to that these are God's chosen and anointed vessels. But they're like, look, all the congregation is holy, so who are you to be a leader? Now, what's amazing is, all the time today, people still have the same issue, right? If the church, if we're the priesthood of all believers, then why should there be a leader? Right? So the issue here, and it's funny because I realized that, like, there's a part of me that wanted to bring in someone else to preach this message. Because I realized I am the lead pastor of Crossroads. And how many people have heard a pastor get up there and say, I'm the pastor and everyone's going to do what I say. And I'm not going to do that. But it's like, it'd be easier if I had another pastor come and share this. Because you're like, oh, it's real self-serving, Fusco. And those of us, all of us, were called to question authority. Oh, it's a power play. That's what Nietzsche taught us. Religion's a power play. It's all a power play. Everything's about power, right? Did Moses and Aaron take this stuff upon themselves and run with it? No, God has gave them this. And they're seeking to steward God's people. And as you can see, as we're traveling through this, it's not exactly a cakewalk for Moses and Aaron either. It's a big mess. And this is another one of those situations where their authority is being questioned, and not just by nobodies, but by men of renown, by leaders, by their family. You take too much upon us. But notice, see, Moses' heart is displayed right in verse 4, because look at what he does. So when Moses heard it, he fell on his face. Now, that does not mean that Moses was not the most graceful of people. And he had a problem staying up on his feet. Literally, he's, it shows his humility and his submissiveness. Like literally, his integrity is questioned. And his first response is actually a response. It's sudden. It's dramatic. It is humble. He shows contrition. Now, what's amazing is, is he's humble. But notice his response in verse 5. He says to them, tomorrow morning, the Lord will show who is his and who is holy and will cause him to come near to him. The one who whom he chooses, he will cause to come near him. So he says, listen, authority is God's to give. That's what he says. So he's like, look, I'm humble. 
Authority is God's to give. And whomever God chooses to do this, we'll let God choose. And then he says to them, he sets the stage for them in verse six, do this, take censers, Korah and all your company, put fire in them and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow. And it shall be that the man whom the Lord chooses is the holy one. You take too much upon yourselves, the son of Levi. So what he's saying is like, okay, we're going to have a test then. We're going to all put incense in our censers and we're going to bring it before the Lord and we're going to see what the Lord does. But he's saying, you guys are overstepping your bounds. See, you notice he calls them sons of Levi. He doesn't do that for no reason. See, he realizes that they already have a position. They are sons of Levi. They have a, a special, but they're not content with where God has them. Now listen, as I look at my journey, As a follower of Jesus and in life, I realize it's really hard to learn how to be content with what God has given you, isn't it? It's hard to say, okay, I'm here right now and be faithful in what God has given us. And so right as we are where we are, you're always like, oh, well, it could be better if this was different and this was different and this was different. But no, this is what God has given us. And when we are not content with what God has given us, we're really saying to God, God, you don't know what you're doing. You're a lousy God. You have not taken care of me. You have not done the things that I think you should do. And my way is actually more important than what you think, God. And the whole heart of malcontentment, discontentment, is a severing of our relationship with God. But isn't it so easy to be discontented? Now, what happens in regards to authority structures, Korah and some of those guys, they were priests. And so they already had a lot of ministry to do. But they wanted Aaron's ministry. Aaron's the high priest. I'm just the priest. Not good enough. Listen, for those of you who have jobs with bosses, isn't that the way it works? Man, that boss doesn't know what he's doing. If I was the boss... Right? We all do that. Unless you have a great boss. But we all know great bosses are rare, aren't they? So we all hit that point where we're like, you know what? If I was the boss, and then what you start doing is the boss tells you to do something, and you kind of be like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do what he says, but he doesn't know what he's talking about, right? Yeah, around the water, you know. Yeah, he doesn't know what he's doing. You know? And you start undermining the person's leadership. You're being Korah, Dathan, or Byron, on. You're doing the same thing. Because our job is not to worry about how someone else does their job. Our job is to be faithful to the Lord on the step he has us. And that's not only true for our jobs, that's true for our lives. If you are single, be content as a single person, trusting the Lord, saying, God, I'm going to trust you. If you're a married person, be content with the husband or the wife that you are with and say, God, I'm going to invest here. You know, and if if your spouse has gone home to be with the Lord, then say, Lord, I'm going to be content here. I'm going to learn how to be fruitful and faithful with right what you've given me. Now, I realize I pretty much just spanned everybody's experience right there. It's hard to be content. And the Apostle Paul said, I have learned in all things to what? To be content. So being content is a learned behavior. It's a behavior that says every time we feel discontented, we say, you know what, God? I'm sorry. Teach me to trust you. I believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, forgive me. I trust you. I believe. 
Help my unbelief. And we do battle against our malcontentness, our discontentedness, our subversion of the authority by simply saying, God, if you wanted me there, you would have put me there. And so I'm just going to be where I am and I'm going to be here well. Now, I realize that I could just shut the Bible right now and we'd all could just pray the rest of the time about that, right? Like that's a big thing for us as humans, as people. Because I don't know about you. I know in my life as I was preparing this, I'm like, man, I am just not really the most content person. There's a million things. I'm like, we got to change this and this and what about this? And it's just like, and I'm, I'm like, Lord, I'm sorry. I trust you, Lord. This is right where we are. This is where I am as a person. This is where I, my family is. This is where we are as a church. This is what we're trying to do. But you know what most of us do? Instead of learning to be content, we act out in frustration, don't we? And that's what most people get from us. They get the frustrated version of us because we have not learned that contentment has nothing to do with our boss or our position in life. Our contentment comes from our relationship with God. And we're all growing there, aren't we? And I'm going to pray for all you guys. Y'all could pray for me. I'm not preaching down on anybody. We're all in this together. We're all learning this. But the problem for Dathan and Abiram and Korah and On and the sons of Reuben is that God has already given them great things to do. They're just not content with the boundaries of it. And isn't that one of the main areas of discontentedness? God has given us something, but we don't like the parameters. We want a different set of parameters. But God is the one who has set the parameters. God's the one. So look at what happens next. Verse 8, we have the confrontation. It says, Then Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi. Is it a small thing that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do the work of the tabernacle of the Lord, and to stand before the congregation to serve them? And that he has brought you near to himself, you and all your brethren, the sons of Levi, with you? And are you seeking the priesthood also? Therefore you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord, and what is Aaron that you complain against him? Now, notice this. Moses, because he's a good leader, confronts the error. The Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend. What that means is that, friends, if your friend is screwing up, you need to tell them in love that you think they're screwing up. Because that's what good friends do. Good friends look at you and say, look, I love you and I believe in you and I think you're out to lunch and it's not a good out to lunch. Jesus is real. With so much of life having so drastically changed over the past few months, it's easy to feel discontented with your circumstances. Today, Pastor Daniel reminded you that choosing contentment is a battle. Being content isn't about what's happening in your life, but is rooted in your willingness to trust that God is good and has you where you are for a reason. You learn that God had given Korah and the other men's significant roles good things, but they rebelled because they didn't like the boundaries God had set. They wanted more. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. I just want to say thank you for tuning in. I'm so stoked you're a listener of Jesus' Real Radio, and I know Jesus has amazing plans for you. 
I'd love to hear the story of how God's working in your life. Give us a call here at Jesus is Real Radio at 360-256-4655 or email me at real at danielfusco.com. Thanks for joining us today for Jesus is Real Radio. Hey, I wanted to remind you that each day on Facebook, Pastor Daniel shares a simple two-minute message. In this message, Pastor Daniel draws out an important biblical truth that really helps set your day on the right path. So be sure to follow Pastor Daniel Fusco on Facebook and share these two-minute messages with your friends and family. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio when you'll see that Moses was willing to confront the men who were opposed to him. Pastor Daniel will encourage you to evaluate your reaction when you are lovingly corrected. He'll ask you to consider if you need to go back and apologize for your response. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called Wilderness. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.